It's a special treat to come back to Cornerstone. Real special treat. And uh, this morning, what I want to do with you is not just give you an update on the ministry, uh, but also look at the Word of God. And I hope that you will be greatly encouraged, greatly full, uh, more full of joy than when you came in to the service this morning. And as Mike mentioned, we're involved with church planting. Really, our two ministries are church planting and leadership training. Uh, We have a seminary, as Mike mentioned. So it's a great joy to be involved in both of those ministries. And really, it's in the land of Shiperia. Shiperia is uh, the name that Albanians have for their own country. They don't call it Albania. Shibari means land of the eagles. And in case you don't know where it is, most people wouldn't except if you've heard me speak before and you've seen a map like this. And now you're able to find Albania, right? Just grab onto the heel of the boot. Some of you remember that. And another shot of it here. You can see it more clearly from the satellite image. The outlined uh, small country right next to Italy and above Greece right on the coast, the general Mediterranean area, and the Adriatic and Ionian Sea, which we'll see more of later. Well, what about Albania? What's so significant about Albania? Well, biblically, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, it's actually mentioned here in Romans. Romans 15, 19 through 20, in the power of, the, of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, and you can guess where, uh, Illyricum would be of today. It actually includes Albania and, and some of the territory around Albania. So what we know from Paul's mention of it here is that he, what drove him to go to, Al, to Albania, to Illyricum, was to preach the gospel where it had never been preached. And what I want to do is I want to talk about, because to talk about Illyricum, this probably took place around 50, 55 A.D., perhaps, 53 A.D., we're not really sure. Well, in order to get to Illyricum, Paul had to go to Europe, right? What is now modern-day Europe. From minor, Asia Minor, Turkey, over into the European continent. And what's the first European church? Do you guys know what the first European church Paul planted? It was in... Philippi, small city. Paul went to Philippi and he planted the first church in Europe. And from there, uh, at least maybe passing through there, he might have, we're not sure from the scriptures, we don't know when he went to Lyricum, but he might have gone to Albania uh, from this, at least, at least uh, logically from this first European church into farther into Europe, modern day Europe. Well, today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, eight, if you would open there. And why why are we opening to Philippians, and what does it have to do with our ministry in Albania, and your ministry, your church here, Cornerstone Church? Really, as you can see from the bulletin, you can see from the screen, I want to talk about the fact that we are partners in the gospel. We're partners. 
We have a partnership, a fellowship, a participation together in the gospel. And today, what, our, what is our purpose? Today, as you're opening up to Philippians, I want you to grasp what I want to, I hope we can achieve. And that is this, that we would all together, you and I, would rejoice in deep gratitude as we learn from Philippians 1, 3 to 8, three aspects of our rich partnership in the gospel. That's my purpose, is that you will have more joy, that you will have great gratitude because of what God has done for you and is doing through you and through us together. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 to 11 just to get a little bit of context as we focus on verses 3 to 8. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So in verses 3 to 8, we're going to be looking primarily at our partnership, really through Paul's example, our partnership in the gospel, and the three aspects of that rich partnership. Why do I say partnership? Maybe you picked up on a couple words. Did you pick up on a couple words that are similar to partnership, depending on your, your translation? If you look in verse 5, what, ver, what word do you see? You can just throw out participation. Any other word there? Verse 5. Partnership. Any other older versions? King James Version? New King James Version? Fellowship. Yes. All rich words describing this relationship that Paul had with the Philippians. Now, what do you know about Paul? Where is he, first of all, when he's writing this letter? He's in jail. He's in, in prison in Rome. He mentions that in verse 7. Why is he in prison? He's in prison, he says, for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's, he's uh, a prisoner for Christ because of the gospel. And yet, if you've read or if you've studied this letter, you know 16 times he mentions, in, certain, in, in different forms, verb and noun forms, he, he mentions a word. You know what word that is? 16 times, more than any other time, more, more than any other, in, uh, any other uh, no higher occurrence in any other letter, he mentions this word in one form or another. 
You know what word it is? Sixteen times in this letter. Joy. He's a man with great joy. We see it in verse 3. A man with great joy. He wants others to have great joy. And part of what makes him joyful and thankful is this special relationship, this special fellowship, partnership, participation he has with the believers in Philippi. And as you know, you probably remember from Acts 16, he went there, he planted the church. In the map we saw that. He went to Philippi, planted the first church there in Europe, and he was their spiritual father. Plus he was an apostle. But I think this relationship is talking about primarily uh, a church planter's relationship with the sending church or the partnering church. And so in, in, in a real sense, it's describing our relationship with each other, our partnership. And Paul is talking about himself here and his thankfulness. In fact, if you look at verse 3, what's the, what's the main verb there? I what? Thank. Paul is writing one of his, if you, if you ever read some of his letters, he can go kind of on and on and on in one sentence. And really from verse 3 to 8, if you, if you, how many of you love grammar? Yeah, great grammar. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, we wouldn't be able to uh, understand each other without grammar, by the way. Or the Bible. The grammar is such that thank is the, is the main verb and then everything else that follows is related to that verb, thank. He tells us, Paul tells us, just to give you an overview of these these uh, verses, 3 to 8, what, he tells us when he thanks God, when does he thank God, he says, in all my remembrance of you, how often? Always offering prayer with joy. And I just said it, how does he thank God? With joy. So he tells us, he tells us when, he tells us how, and then verse five, verses 5 to 8 talk about why. Why does he thank God with such joy? And verses 5 to 8 talk about that partnership. Okay? And that's what we're going to be focusing on. But just so you get the context, Paul is grateful. He's grateful and he's thanking God. He's a thankful man. In fact, I remember reading years ago how among all the ancient writers, Greek writers, if they took them all together. Someone said Paul was the most thankful writer. He was always expressing his thankfulness. And I want to show you quickly, before we get to these three aspects, I want to show you why, and I apologize because the, the font, these, I, I wrote the word, I, I pasted the word in Greek, just so you could see it and hear it, even if you don't know Greek. This this uh, relationship of, of words, grace in verse 2, thank in verse 3, and joy in verse 4. Now, unfortunately, it didn't come out. You can't really see it. But if you were sitting in the Philippian church, like you are now, sitting down, and, and we'd have to imagine the setting, and they received the letter from Paul, what would happen? Someone would get up and read it. And what would they hear? They'd hear verse 2, charis, grace. Then verse 3, 
eucharisto, thank. And then verse 4, joy, charas. Charis, eucharisto, charas. And I think they would hear morphologically, they'd hear the form, just like you hopefully heard it, the form, the relationship of those words, apparently. They would think theologically, as Paul taught them, and as Paul knew better than any of us, when you understand grace, what do you understand? I deserve punishment for my sins, but God doesn't give that to me. He didn't give that to me up until now. He doesn't, he's not giving me punishment for my sins, what I deserve. Instead, he's lavishing upon me his amazing blessings and benefits. That's grace. What's the only response as we saw? I can only, what? Understanding grace, I can only thank you. Understanding God's great grace, the only response is gratitude. Now, when we're grateful, what do we feel? Certainly we can say, thanks a lot. Uh, We can say it and not mean it, but when we really mean it, thank you, what do we feel? Joy. Praise, yes. We feel joy. And you can see the morphological connection. You can see the theological connection. You can see the logical connection. Paul was a man who understood grace. Understanding grace made him so grateful. And being so grateful, he was full of joy. And in particular, he wants to tell us why he's full of joy. The first aspect of our partnership, of his partnership, and thus ours, is this. The gospel partnership we enjoy is a divinely initiated partnership. It's divinely initiated. It's it's begun by God. If you look at in verses five and six, as Paul talks about participation, and we looked we called these out participation, fellowship, partnership to to get a sense of the richness of the word. So I'm sure some of you heard this word, koinonia. That's the word here. Fellowship, partnership. He says in verse 5, he says, let's read it together. In view of, in other words, he's telling us why. Why am I so thankful? Why do I have, in, in, in your case, particularly so much joy because of this, in view of your participation in the gospel, when? From the first day. And what was Paul thinking? Paul was remembering that first day he preached the gospel. The first moments of the church when people, Lydia and others, and then the Philippian jailer and his family and others became believers. He was, he's remembering that first day. He was there. Now, some of you are fathers, right? How many of you have that are fathers were there when your child was being born? I was there five, for five of them, all five. It's, it's, it's an amazing privilege to watch that life begin. Paul was saying, I was there on that first day when God gave birth, when God caused you to be born again, to use a language from First Peter. God caused you to be born again. So, again, verse 5, what is, what is he telling us? God initiated this 
partnership. This partnership in the gospel, this participation, this fellowship. And then verse 6, he fills it out. What do I mean specifically? What does Paul mean specifically? He who began a good work. He's convinced of this. Paul is convinced of this, that God began a good work in you. He's already, in fact, the tense of the verb means I'm already convinced, fully convinced, because I was there. I watched God initiate that work in you. And it's been a partnership. So what is he saying? He's saying this. If you're a believer, if you've repented of your sins, if you've trusted in Christ, from that moment, you, have, you began a partnership in the gospel with other believers. It's a divinely initiated partnership. Paul goes on. It's not just in a divinely initiated partnership, but it's a divinely completed partnership. From beginning to end, it's God at work. Verse 5, again, what does he say? Until now. So from that first day when you were born again, and maybe 10 years or maybe more than 10 years had passed, what had happened for those 10 years? The believers in Philippi were in a divine partnership, a partnership in the gospel, until that time. Why? Because God was at work. In fact, again, in verse 6, he completes the idea. He tells us, not just up until now, but he says, God, and you know this verse, will perfect it, will perfect that work until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, the context is what? This divine partnership. We can look at this verse, and this verse certainly talks about your salvation as an individual, my salvation individual. Why am I a believer? Why am I a believer? Why, why are you a believer if you're a believer? God began that good work. And what will He do? He'll complete it. How many, how many days? How many of you have been believers for more than 10 years? More than 20? More than 30? More than 40? Praise, praising the Lord, of course. More than 50? Wow. More than 60, my, my great-grandmother back there. <laughs> wow, praise the Lord. <laughs> until now, God has done it. He's, he's completed it until now, and He will complete it until when? What does Paul say? He will, he will complete it until when? The day of Christ Jesus. Let's look at that phrase. It's an important phrase. What does that mean? The day of Christ Jesus. In fact, it's only found in, apart from Philippians, and these, this phrase and concept really, day and then Christ, uh, uh, day of Christ or day of Christ Jesus, found in Romans 2.16 loosely, the, the, the phrase, in 1 Corinthians 1.8, only in these two passages outside of Philippians. Now the two there are three, three occurrences in Philippians, this, this phrase. You'll see it in chapter 1 or verse 10. And then you'll see it also in chapter 2, 
verse 16. Now he shortens it and says the day of Christ. It's the same, basically the same phrase, the same concept. The day of Christ. The day of Christ. Looking at verse 16, what is Paul saying? And then we'll go to backward to verse 10 and 11. He's saying, Paul's saying this, look ahead to that day. Everything is going to be is focused on that day. He wants to turn the believer's attention to that day. Three times he mentions this phrase, the day of Christ, the day of Christ Jesus. What is that day? That day is the day when Christ will return and our time of working will be over. Our time of planting, sowing, watering will be over. And as we'll see, it'll be a time of enjoying the fruit. But what Paul says in verse 16, because he's developing this idea of partnership, he's saying our partnership in the gospel isn't simply, okay, I send you newsletters, you pray for me, you send, you send me money, every once in a while you send a team over to help me out, right? It's more than that. That's, that's a part of the, the partnership. The partnership in the gospel is this, and the whole letter is about this. It's about them living out the gospel, taking the gospel to Philippi, living it out in this Roman colony, in fact, he says in verse 16 of chapter 2, if you look at that, he says, essentially, uh, let's, let's read from, from 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Why? so that in the day of Christ Jesus I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. What is he doing? He's saying, I'm looking toward that day, the day of Christ Jesus, for you and for me. The way you live, he says, will give me cause for joy in that day if you live in a way that's fitting to the gospel. In fact, if if you were to if we had time, we could look at the end of chapter one, uh, verse twenty-seven. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because they're partners. They're partners in the gospel. And so it was more than just okay, miss your. You're the sending church or you're the supporting church and I'm the missionary and make sure you pray for me every day and make sure you send your money. He's, he's looking beyond that. We're partners in the gospel. You living out the gospel gives me joy even here in Rome. And I thank God for you as partners. Wouldn't that be a, uh, the high, one of the highest privileges to be able to receive a letter from Paul? Apostle Paul saying, I thank God for you, for your partnership. If Paul needed that, how much more do we as missionaries? Let's, go, let's look quickly at verse 10 and 11 of chapter 1. He says, in fact, let's read from verse 9 because it's his prayer, 9 through 11. 
Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And look at verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this verb also is, in a sense, what he's, he's taking us forward. How many of you are, have gone on vacation so far? You're wishing you hadn't yet? You're wishing you're looking forward to your vacation? How many of you are looking forward to your vacation? A f- fewer, okay, yeah. Not very many days left in August. How many of you just got up one morning and just left? You didn't plan anything. You just took off and you just said, we're, I don't know where we're going. We're just going to go. Anybody? No, no spontaneous people. <laughs> but you planned. Why did you plan? What were you doing? You were, you were looking at the present, your present activity, through the lenses of the future, of your vacation time, weren't you? You were planning in the present for the future so that your future vacation, or you are planning for your future vacation, that it would be the most restful, enjoyable time, right? You're living the present for the future. Through the lenses of the future, you're living the present. And that's what Paul is saying. Think about that day, the day of Christ Jesus. That day when all work, all effort will cease and you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. You will enjoy. In fact, uh, some of you know we have, we bought a house outside of Toronto, the capital, which I'll show you some pictures. And it has a little bit of land and we've been, not I, but actually Julie and the boys, have been planting some trees, some fruit trees. How many of you have ever planted a fruit tree or, or, or have fruit trees? Okay, good number. And you know, you plant, you water, you prune. Why? So that you can enjoy a tree full of fruit, right? You can enjoy the fruit of your labor. And that's the picture here. As you labor, you plant, you water. As a part of the, the, the participation, the partnership of the gospel. So that on that day, when all work will cease, you will have a tree, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. You'll have a tree full of fruit, so to speak. You'll have the fruit of righteousness to enjoy. And of course, it comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, aspect one. It's a divinely initiated partnership. Aspect number two. It's a divinely, what? Completed partnership. God will complete that work. What about in the middle? Aspect number three about this partnership. It's a divinely energized partnership. And I took this word actually energized from chapter 2, verse 13. Maybe a verse you know well. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know that verse? It's the second part of the first one. And it's a promise. What is God doing? 
Who is God? He's a worker. And you see that word, energeo, energize. He's working. He's energizing in you. And so, and, and, and Paul is talking about, he's really unfolding and developing uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He who began again work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. How will we do that? What's the process, Paul? Paul says, God is working. He's working in you. And so your efforts to grow are based upon God's faithful working in you. That's the idea of, of work here, energeo. And I use that word here to look at the third aspect, that God is working. He's divinely energizing us for this partnership. How do I know that? Well, we'll look at verse 7, and we'll read verse 7 in its entirety. Again, this is why Paul is so grateful, why he's full of joy, because of this partnership. And he says in verse 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Now let's stop there. That's why I think the idea of koinonia, fellowship, what Paul is talking about, is more than just a, okay, you're the... You're the supporting church, I'm the missionary, and we have this kind of business relationship. And you support me, and I, resp- I re- reply to you, I'll send you newsletters, I'll send you Paphroditus, give you an update, so you know what's going on, and, and you feel uh, grateful and, and glad that your, your uh, prayers and your money is being used effectively. It's more than that, Paul says. It's a fellowship. It's a relationship. Look at how he describes that. Again, in verse 7, it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Why? Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. That's the other word, partakers. It's similar to koinonia, but it's really like fellow partners. It's almost redundant. Like he's emphasizing the fellowship, the, the commonality, the partnership, the participation. Fellow partners. You were fellow partners with me. You've been supporting me. You've been standing with me all these years. And that's why there's this rich relationship. This rich, beyond a partnership to a fellowship. <clears throat> and I like the way he says it. He changes it. He says, you're partakers of What? Grace. When did he mention grace? In what verse? Verse 2. Started with grace. Look at the end of Philippians. The last verse in Philippians. 4.23. How does he end the letter? The Grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace in the beginning, grace in the middle, grace in the end. It's God's grace working in us. You are all partakers. You're taking part of grace. It's only by grace, Paul says, for you and for me. It's all of grace. I ask myself, why? Why? 
You ever ask yourself, why? Why me? We can ask ourselves, why me? But in a good sense, not in a complaining way. Why would God look with such favor on me? And then why would he want me to be a part of taking the gospel to Riverside, to Moreno Valley, to Corona, to Albania? Why? We're partakers of grace. It's his work in us, his grace in us. And then in verse 8, he adds to it, talking about this wonderful fellowship, this rich fellowship. For God is my witness. He's saying, you know, it's almost like he's saying, I want you to know I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) We can exaggerate from time to time. How are you doing? Great. Well, not so great. Paul is not exaggerating. He's not putting on, he's not coming up with the superlatives for the beginning of his letter. He's saying, I want you to know, God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You can just see the heart of Paul toward the believers, that rich fellowship. And he says, I want you to know what that is. That's not, that's not Paul's affection. It's not Paul's love and longing. It comes from Jesus Christ. I get it from him. And I'm longing for you with his love, with his affection. He's working in me. He's giving me this divine affection. This divine work is within me. I mean, isn't it? Just step back and think about how we can be partners. I can pray for you. And every time I do pray for you, I want you to know where we pray for you. We're grateful. Very grateful. Grateful for the partnership. Grateful for the fellowship. We don't, I just I rejoice, and I don't want to embarrass Aurelio. So I see, see him sitting over there. <laughs> the C28 brother. <laughs> uh, you know, I get his updates about his evangelistic opportunities. And I count it a joy to be his partner in the gospel. To know that for whatever reason, it's a mystery that God would look upon my, my meager prayer and take it and somehow apply it to what Aurelio is doing. And it's a joy and I'm grateful to be able to be a part of that 7,000 miles away when I receive his updates. That's the kind of joy we can have. The joy that should be ours is we're grateful to God for the wonderful partnership, the wonderful participation in the gospel, the fellowship we have in Christ Jesus and in the gospel. Okay, we looked at what? What's the first aspect of that partnership? It's a... It's a divinely initiated partnership. And at the end, and along the way we could even say, it's a divinely completed partnership. What's that process that's happening along the way? It's a divinely energized partnership. 
Now, as I give you a brief update, really brief, on the ministry in Albania, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be able to say, I'm a partner. I'm participating in what God is doing in Albania. And I would challenge you, I would challenge you with the day of Christ in view. How are you using your time and your resources? Are you participating in the worldwide spread of the gospel? I know many of you are, and as a church, you're very missions-minded. Are you giving to missionaries with joy, knowing what God is going to do through your giving? Don't give to us. I'm not asking for money. Please understand that. There are a number of new missionaries, I believe, that are about ready to go out of Cornerstone, from what I understand. Other missionaries that have been hurt by the crisis that are already supported by Cornerstone, maybe others you know, if you're not a part of that, begin. Begin participating in that way in what God is doing around the world. Participate through prayer. Think about that day, the day of Christ Jesus. Think about the tree of fruit that you want to enjoy on that day when everything will come together. That will be the last the the end of our time on earth and the beginning of our time with our Lord. But I want you to do this. I want you to rejoice in deep gratitude as you think about the partnership of the gospel that we have in Albania together. And I'm going to start by showing you some beautiful pictures of Albania because who knows, maybe some of you want to come to be partners, partners, full-time partners, short-term partners. Maybe you want to come on vacation. Maybe you want to change your vacation plans entirely. You can see how beautiful Albania is. It's, even though it's small, I mean, it's, uh, did I say it's 14 Albania, Albanians will fit in California? I think I have a, a, a picture of how, a map showing how small Albania is. And yet it's just tremendously beautiful packed full of God's majesty on display. And it's an ancient country, as you recognize, Illyricum, but it even dates 2,000 years before Paul, so 4,000 years of history, and many ancient buildings. This, this castle here in the middle of Albania is 2,500 years old. Another one in the north of Albania uh, I think around that same age. A few fields, it's 70% uh, mountains, but they do have a few fields, very beautiful. And then the coastline, I wanted to show you some of the coastline. I know California has everything, has mountains, has uh, beaches, but I think you'll be able to enjoy some of the castles along the beach, at least one here, one key castle in the south. And some fairly ancient villages and just beautiful crystal clear waters if you think of beaches in Greece we share a border with Greece so in the south the same kind of beaches and, and uh, water and of course sunsets God's beauty in his creation this is the capital Tirana where we minister 
Uh, it's grown, quadrupled over the last 20 years to about a million people. This is a, some, uh, a couple of shots that are unrealistic. It's more like Riverside, kind of hazy. A little bit smoggy. Here's another postcard picture. This is the square, the main square, and you can, uh, you can see in the backdrop there a minaret. And uh, I'll show you some, a couple more pictures of that square as you look on the capital where we live. Again, uh, Paul, as we know, went to, at least up to Albania, maybe preached there, maybe Titus. What happened after that? Let's look at from the Reformation era. For most of that, that's ancient history. Reformation era to the present. What happened while Europe was just being completely uh, changed, transformed? And then America. Well, the Ottoman Empire was, uh, was in control and had en- enveloped Albania from 1481 to 1912. And so you recognize the Reformation, 1517, happened while Albania was off limits. It was Muslim, Islamicized by the Ottomans. And so it didn't experience the Reformation, even though it's part of Europe. And then after World War I, from World War I to World War II approximately, there's this general instability, some missionary work. But what I want you to get a, a, a concept of, and under communism, complete erasing of, almost complete erasal of any, any work that God had done. Uh, and God in his sovereignty allowed that. But from 1944 to 1991, increasingly closed country even close to other communist countries. No evangelical church up until 1991. Evangelicals, but no Albanian evangelical church from Reformation forward. So we're, we're the first generation. We're planting first generation evangelical churches in Albania. You're a part of that. Here's some facts about Albania. You can see how small it is compared to Virginia. If you know how big Virginia is. I guess it helps. And you can see the breakdown traditionally. Now, Albanians are secular. They're atheistic or agnostic or, yeah, there's a God up there. Uh, 70% Muslim, 20% Orthodox, 10% Catholic, and up until now, still only 0.3%, three out of every thousand. It's a democracy. We have freedom of religion up until now. You can see the mosque Islam is, is trying to gain a foothold in various ways. Through the government, kind of the back door, missionaries, there's, there's mo- there are mosques, minarets everywhere in Albania since the fall of communism. We're involved in church planting and developing churches as well. When we arrived in 1998, the first Sunday, seven people. A year later, we had a, a few more people. This is a meeting in our house during Christmas time. Ten years later, about a year ago, uh, here's the church, Kisha Hirit. Mike wanted to hear, you to hear Albanian. That's Albanian. Kisha is church, and Hir, or Hirit, is of grace. So, Church of Grace, Tirana. 
And just so you know, I mean, you can look at the numbers and go, oh, well, that's great. And just like anywhere, you know, people come and go and they're visitors and, and we're looking at depth and we really want to see people grow spiritually and qualitatively. We just had a vacation Bible school, over 100 children every day on, on average for five days. Uh, a church from Scottsdale, Arizona came over and helped us run that. And a number of children profess Christ. You might have remember uh, those of you who have seen this is a uh, a picture you might have seen before in an older slide slideshow. A street is a deacon in our church. He's also a, a, a graduate of the seminary we have, as Mike mentioned. I get to be involved in the church and in the seminary, and. He has a calling from God, and he's also, you could say, a second generation. He's planting a second generation church, sent out from our church to his neighborhood, which used to be a village, is now part of Toronto, a suburb of Toronto. And he and his family, his uh, son Ariel and wife Dorata and Esther, who's about the same age as our Emily, are all seeking to plant this church, and we're, we're helping him. We also have as a seminary and as a church a ministry to pastors, to church leaders, to their wives, to missionaries. Every year, every year we have a shepherds conference where we gather them together. And we had uh, over 70 from all of Albania and Kosovo. If you've heard of Kosovo, uh, which is ethnically Albanian but separate from Albania, just to the north. We minister to them. And then some of you might remember, I've asked you to pray for good luck. Remember that? Sounds wrong. And it would be, unless the man's name is good luck. And that's this man here. Fatmir is how you pronounce his name. Good luck is what it means. And this is an older picture. He's, a, uh, he's high up in the government. And, and I meet with, I've been meeting with him. I had, a, I had a series of meetings with him individually years ago. Then it fell by the wayside. And recently God has reopened the door along with another friend of his who is in the opposition party. Uh, he's, Fadmir is one of the leaders in the government. Both of them understand the gospel. They've not committed. They've not trusted in Christ yet. Pray for them. You might be used by God your prayers to bring Fatmir and our Ben or Benny to faith. And then one last point. If you want to, if you don't receive our newsletter and would like to, uh, via email, you can write your email address down. If you don't have an email address, uh, we'll be glad to send that to you in hard copy. Are you rejoicing in your participation in the gospel around the world? What God is doing through Cornerstone. You got that picture? Which one? Yeah, you notice some of the pictures from the slideshow and, and some new ones as well. In fact, I'll show you the backside of the a baptism you can see. Anyway, rejoice with deep gratitude in our partnership. Let's pray together. Indeed, Father, what can we say? Thank you 
why would you look upon us with such favor? Why would you cause your face to shine upon us to such a degree? It's a mystery. We're grateful. Help us to be more grateful. Help us to understand your great grace toward us, to be grateful, to be joyful. I thank you so much for Cornerstone, for the rich fellowship, partnership that we have in the gospel, for their great encouragement to us in every way. Please continue to grant this church and every, every person in this room great everlasting fruit until that day. May we live for that day and for your glory. In in your son's name we pray. Amen.